That's a very, very important part and one that is often neglected. So the bigger picture here is that a lot of people find that once they get into a relationship, um, intimate relationship mostly, but not only, you know, because there's all other kinds of deeper relationship engagements nowadays. But once they get there, there are a few things that can happen. One of the things that can happen, both in intimate relationship and in friendships, let's call it, or relationships, is that there's a certain level of engagement and it can't go deeper. And that can be deeper intellectually, it can be deeper emotionally, it can be deeper physically. That's one area where people start complaining that it can't go deeper. It gets boring, it's same old, same old. There's an itch for something, but you don't know what it is. And that's typically when people do drugs, become polyamorous, or go to a lot of festivals, or all of the above. <laughs> which are valid ways to look for variety and depth, but they're, you know, they're typically not something that establishes as a uh, deepening pattern. So there's that layer. And then there's the layer of um, once, you know, once a, a relationship enters a certain kind of depth or connection, there's often um, a diminishing of the sexual attraction or the diminishing of the erotic excitement. And very often people then think that's the end of the relationship. And then the complaints start, or you go to therapy, or once again you try, try drugs, polyamory, or festivals, or all of the above. You know? So you, you kind of try and, and, and work with that. And for that aspect particularly, also for the depth aspect, for other reasons, I'll talk about that. But for that aspect particularly, there's a basic understanding that when you have makes a huge difference in relationship. And that is that what makes a relationship good actually detracts from the erotic friction. So that sounds like a little bit of a bummer, but it's, an, it's not when you know what you're working with. So meaning, if you want a good relationship, you have to have commonality, resonance, sameness, however you want to call that. That resonance, sameness, commonality is what creates long-term successful relationship. So what that means in a nutshell is that you need to be on the same page. That's why it's called birds of a feather stick together. Meaning if you have the common values, common ideas of what you want, common ideas for the relationship, you're both enjoying the same things, you can communicate well, which is one big aspect of good relationship, and you basically get along. That makes for good relationship. And so when you have a relationship problem, you have a problem with those aspects, meaning you can't communicate, you don't share the same values, you don't agree on things. That could be religion, or one is a vegan, the other one is a meat eater, uh, one likes animals, one hates animals. You know, those are what commonly in court is called irreconcilable differences, right? So if you don't have commonality, you're going to have problems in your relationship. And for that, you need to go and get relationship help.
So that would be relationship counseling, communication courses, um, you know, religious counseling, whatever people like to do. So you're back pulling on the same side of the rope, so to speak, versus on the opposing side of the rope. So that's, that's that. For there to be good erotic friction, meaning the excitement and the, the attraction that happens when you first meet a new partner with whom you want to be sexually. This is not true for friendship relationships. But in erotic relationship, regardless of your preferences, what makes it exciting is opposites attract. So opposites attract makes the best erotic friction. Birds of a feather stick together makes the best long-term relationship. So how it typically goes is you meet somebody, it's super exciting, you have that great arc of attraction, you know, you don't know each other, so there is the opposing forces of two people who are not yet resonant, and that kind of opposition creates a strong arc of attraction and erotic friction and excitement. Then as you get to know each other, you bridge that gap and you bridge it by doing the same things, maybe moving in together, having the same friends, creating joint experiences, getting a dog together, getting a business together, having a child, uh, a joint mortgage. Now you're like this. And you might have a really good time or you have relational issues, right? Meaning you're not completely gelling in those joint things, but the erotic friction is not so much there. And then typically what happens is the first thing when people notice that is they notice that when they go to different places, like on a vacation or, you know, some, or the living room instead of the bedroom, the, uh, the attraction comes back or the, the excitement comes back. And that, of course, has to do with the fact that you need newness and difference for there to be erotic friction. You need sameness and agreement to have long-term relationships. So because of that, now coming to your question, why has, does there have to be crispness? The thing to remember is that it's much harder to find somebody with whom you can do long-term agreeableness, so to speak, resonance, than it is to have erotic friction. You can have erotic friction with pretty much anyone at any given time if you engage in that play of the opposites. Even here, when we do this leading and following, you have moments of that because it's a mechanism. It's like physics. It's like day and night, you know, plus and minus. So it doesn't take much to create erotic friction, particularly with somebody with whom you had it naturally, but it takes a lot to find somebody with whom you can go through life. So because of that, most people have to learn erotic friction skills and not relationship skills. They might need relationship skills too, but that's a, that's a separate track. So relationship skills are uh, being on the same page, agreeing, good communication, good resonance, common uh, long-term plans. And then erotic friction skills are things like not randomly touching at all times. So, and that's something that people don't understand. They somehow think that when they touch all the time, that's like a sign that they're always ready or always with it. But the body, as you well know, because we've all had that experience of kissing somebody for the first time and it being the most amazing thing ever. And it's like your entire body goes into this 
tilt kind of an amazing feeling. And then three months later, you're kissing them, or maybe six months later, and it's like, oh, okay, whatever, right? Because <laughs> still nice, but it's not that thing, because the bodies get used to each other and they start resonating. And bodies by design are meant to resonate because that's how we learn from other bodies, from our parents and then, of course, from other people along the way. So what that means is when you bring body to body together all the time without any breaks, the, the kind of erotic friction aspect totally rubs off and you become numb to your partner's body, so to speak. While if you know that you don't want that to happen, you spend periods of time not touching so that when you come back together, it's a fresh moment. And so one of the first fixes, so to speak, when people have real ho-hum stuff is to look at, are they constantly touching, constantly leaning against each other, constantly giving little pets as if it's their dog, constantly little pecks on the cheek like it's their child, those are not sexy and the body doesn't go, oh, little pat on the back, oh, honey, right? it's that there's no sex there. So you can't expect that your body has um, an erotic reaction to something that's mostly used in an unerotic way. So there isn't, you know, there's, there isn't that much to it. People always want to do these big, whatever, tantric, whatever. You don't actually have to do that. You need to just keep your hands to yourself for a period of time, <laughs> amongst other things, right? The other things to do, there's a whole series of things you can do very simply without much drama, is spend time away from your partner. If you do everything all the time with your partner, you're constantly resonating. If you spend time away from each other and you come back together, you have some of that initial newness back. You have new experiences. You've gone somewhere. You have something to talk about. If you can't go somewhere and have something to talk about, go to your room and read something interesting that you can report to your partner, right? Things of that nature. So separation and coming together, not touching and then touching. And then also very important is something I call date night discipline which is when you decide, and date night doesn't necessarily mean you go out, but when you decide you want to engage in the erotic aspect of things, that's when that crispness is most important, meaning you spend time away from each other and you do the things you used to do when you used to date that person. What do you do when you go on a date? You take time away from your other stuff. You make an effort, you shower, you shave, you whatever, you know, you, 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 you wash your hair, you make a plan, you show up on time, and you actually spend time with that person trying to be interesting. Guess what? That still works 20 years in. It does. Right? But if you don't want to do that, then you will be doomed to a life on the couch in matching sweatpants, eating out of one <laughs> bowl of popcorn, watching reruns of Stranger Things, right? That's, so that's, that's the quick and dirty on how do you work with opposition versus alignment or resonance versus polarity, right? So that's, that's the thing. The, the real secret of nonlinear is that we're essentially 
give the um, power back to where it belongs, which is the body's natural ability to clear stuff, yeah. like any animal can without any trouble. Steve sometimes talks about this in the embodiment teacher training. You might not remember this since it was a long time ago, where he's talking about, um, you know, kind of layering tension over tension over tension. You know, you kind of push harder with the breath so you feel something stronger than the tension you're feeling, and then you have a release that feels stronger than that tension, and so on and so on. So often in nonlinear and in, in also relaxing the body, you have to kind of pull layer over layer over layer. And, and sometimes that feels like nothing because it's actually layers of numbness, you know. And so um, if there's nothing wrong with breathing in, in an organized fashion, right? But there's also something to be said about just giving the authority back to the body and go, you do, you do the thing that you know how to do. You have to have both, right? Because if you're just thrown or, or, or blown in the wind like a leaf by your emotions, um, you become very ineffective. I'm not saying you are, you personally, but one becomes very ineffective because it's like, Wee! you know, like, and you're, you're essentially taken by the emotions. Then, of course, the other side of the coin is somebody who's so rigid that, you know, they don't feel much other than you know, how are you doing? Good. Yeah. So, and it's like, what do you mean by good? Oh yeah, I feel good. And then there's, there's underneath is this, you know, cauldron of stuff that's not happening. Not everybody has that, but some people. So somewhere in between there, you are able to feel all the things that are happening, but you're not reactive to them yeah. at all times. It doesn't mean that sometimes you don't cry or laugh or whatever, but you can still perform normal life without being taken out by it. But how would it be different than it is now, where you're actually functioning and you can perform normal activity and you can still feel your feelings? Okay, so... If you had the focus back the way you would like it, you would get more stuff done in a more efficient way while also feeling all the things you're feeling. But right now you feel like you're not able to get stuff done the way you would like to. Well, here's the thing. The only way you're going to get stuff done again is if you know why. Right? Getting shit done for the sake of getting shit done is hugely depressing and um, demotivating because, you know, I mean, you know how it goes. You do something and then you have to do it again and then you have to do it again. An inbox being a perfect metaphor for that kind of shit doesn't matter, right? How many emails you answer, there's more coming. And so that's not a reason to do email, so to speak, or anything else for that matter. Um, but there is reasons to do email that are much bigger than the email. And I, what it sounds like to me is that you need to re-examine, this is also true for you, of course, uh, you have to re-examine the why. The, and that's why I'm saying the heart's dedication, the legacy, the, the, the devotion to something bigger than emails or getting shit done or paying the bills, um, that, which is all important, right? Paying the bills is a very important aspect of life, um, you know, because that's what, that, it's a safety 
aspect, but it's not the reason to be alive. That's survival then, right? And that's, by the way, when, when Lisa, when you're saying you, you feel frozen in your head, because that's a, the place of just being in your head without a forward motion is a survival place. And the, that's not good enough. So the thing to do is not how do I get more yang, it's where am I going, the why. Right? And that, that might take a bit of searching as to where is a why that makes your heart go, yes. Right? And then makes it so you don't care getting up early in the morning and getting shit done. Because otherwise, why? Why?